0: Tonight very simple title in this message is forgive us forgive us now many of uh, you guys and I'm picking on the guys here but many of you guys uh, are probably going to be saying that quite a bit to your wives would you forgive me I'm sorry I didn't get you the flowers or I'm would you forgive me I just kind of forgot about Valentine's, okay, so uh, ladies, uh, this message will be for you because you will have to be able to forgive them. Okay, so, uh, and some of the ladies said, no, not really. But uh, here in uh, Luke chapter number 11, look at verse number four, and then we're going to go on uh, to Matthew 6. In Luke chapter 11, verse number 4, this is what the Bible says. It says, says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now, the key word here is indebted. But in Matthew chapter 6, you're turning over to that now. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 12 We see that it's a little different wording here. But still, the the framework is still intact. And in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 12, this is how it reads. It says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, We see here that... We now come in this prayer where Jesus is reminding them or teaching them that when you're praying, forgiveness should be a vital part of your prayer. Now, look at the sequence, though, how it's set up. See, uh, we see that he uses the plural form, he forgive us, forgive us. Church, tonight we need to understand as a, as a body here, as a corporate body of believers here, that means every one of us should have a prayer of forgiveness, not only for our sins, but for those who have sinned against us. See, I'm telling you, oh, we are living in a day in time where forgiveness is kind of forgotten about. And and it's sad to say that even in the church... One of the things that keeps a church from doing what it should be doing for the Lord Jesus Christ because you understand when there's sin and here we're being taught that if you are not praying for forgiveness for yourself or for others, then that is going to be a stumbling block. That's going to be a hindrance for God moving the way he wants to move. And forgiveness is one of the biggest reasons why many churches are not going forward in the name of Jesus because there's a spirit of unforgiveness within the body. So we understand that, and we see, he says, Forgive us. The first thing that we see in this prayer is there must be confession, we must confess our sins. In First John chapter 1, verses 8 and verse 10, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus is helping us to understand that if you go and say that you have no sin, then the truth is not within you. That means that every one of us has a sin problem. Now, stay with me here. Because there's, there is uh, some theology that's out there that, and I've, 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 I've talked to uh, folks that really believe this, that when they got saved, they said that when I asked God to forgive me and, and, and asked Him to come into my heart, then I'm no longer to have a sin problem. That is not what Bible teaches. We all, if you're saved or you're lost, you still have a sin problem. We all have problem with sin. And so here he says, if, if you, have, you say you have no sin, then the truth's not in you. But then he goes on it says, if you say you have no sin, then you're making him, talking about the Lord, you're making him a liar and the word of God is not within you. But we also see in Romans chapter 7, verse number 24, Paul is speaking here. Now, now Paul, uh, we all know about Paul. Paul is a saved man. But notice what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Now, this is Paul. This is a saved man talking. Why would Paul say, I'm a wretched man? Because Paul understood, and you'll see it all through here, uh, and deals with it in Romans, especially when you get in chapter 6, and then you go into chapter 7 as well, that Paul understood that he had a struggle with sin, and he realized even though he was saved, that when he had sin to come into his life, he looked at it as the seriousness that it should be see sometimes what happens especially if you've been in the faith for a while sometimes what can creep in is that we thought we've got this thing down so well we think we've kind of arrived and we just don't think our sin is that big a deal like it used to be I haven't could have committed adultery I haven't gone out and killed anybody but uh, but you know I have a little problem with jealousy and I have a problem with anger and I have a problem with pride but that's not quite as uh, I. Fear as somebody else's sin. Paul recognized that no matter what you call your sin, sin is still sin, and it should help us to understand it makes us wretched. Amen. And we get serious about it when we come to realize this is a problem. But notice as you go on, it says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Translate sin. Who will deliver me? Now we're talking about a saved man. I thought he was already delivered. He was. But he goes on and helps us to understand is that what is he talking about this body of sin? I I came across and I might have told you this before but Paul of course we know he's from Tarsus. If you do some uh, extra digging in extra biblical uh, sources, you'll see that they had a, a very unusual way that they would uh, punish people there. And uh, in Tarsus, it's been said that if you uh, had murdered a man, killed a man, what you would have to do was strap that man's body up on your body, and you would have to carry that dead body around. Now, we understand, not to get graphic, not to get uh, uh, gross about it, but uh, the body starts to decay. And those body fluids start coming into the person that's carrying him as his body. And over the course of time, that dead body starts to affect the body that's being carried to where his death will eventually come to him. That's exactly what sin does. Sin is like carrying a dead body around, ram. And sooner or later, many times it's sooner, that sin will be your demise. It's going to bring you down. So he says, who will deliver me from that? He's not talking about the penalty of sin because that's already been taken care of. That was taken care at Calvary. When Jesus took your sin and he took my sin and when he died in our place and we accepted what he did for us, then the penalty of sin that should have been on us has been removed from us. He's not talking about the penalty of sin here in Romans seven twenty-four. Now, he's also not talking about the power of sin. Because if you go back into chapter 6, you will see he talks about that we've been crucified. The old man has died. Behold, we become a new creature. And the Bible says, no longer will sin have dominion over you. So he's not talking about that. So what is he talking about? When he says, who will deliver me from this present? He's talking about the presence of sin. Folks, I know this is news that you haven't, heard before we live in a sinful world and it's getting more sinful as each day goes by you will not escape the presence of sin until he calls you home that's what he's taught that's when he says thanks be unto god Thanks be unto God. And then when you open up in chapter 8 of Romans, it says, that it, He says, Oh, how, why is He thanking God? Because He says that I am no longer condemned. That's pretty good. You're no longer condemned. But we have to say, we recognize that we have a sin problem. Uh, So we must confess. Now, why does he say that we must confess? You confess. When you confess, then you realize you have a problem. Where your real problem comes in where you don't think you need to confess. That's when you're in trouble. And so we confess our sin. Now notice also, he uses one of five Greek words that has made reference to sin. He uses the word debt. But there's other words, and we're going to touch upon this. We also see there's a word that's used. You go to Romans uh, chapter 3, verse verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. You know that? And all have come short of the glory of God. That word for sin is an archery word. It means that you're shooting at the bullseye and you're shooting at the center. And if you hit the center, you could be playing darts as well. But if you hit the center, you, you get 100. That means that you have a perfect score. Here's what your sin will do. Your sin will keep you falling short from the high standards of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We all miss the mark. We have sin. But then also he uses a word uh, that's offenses or trans, uh, trespasses. We see now this word means uh, it's reference to a fall or a slip. So this is the figure we are trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. That means that was unintentional. It was an accident because of our carelessness. See, when you fall, most of the time, you're falling because you're really not watching where you go. That's the reason when I walk up and down these steps, I'll take my time. Because of my eyesight, I recognize the fact that if I'm not paying attention, I can misstep, and then I'd fall out, and then you would all laugh at me. Did you Somebody said, right there was one honest person in here. They said, you better believe we'd laugh at you. Or, you know those little yellow signs that you'll see that says wet floor that most of you ignore? They're yellow sign, but you you, you not paying attention. You're careless. You're not, you walk through and then you slip. Now, that was, it was not intentional. It, it was because of your carelessness. See, sometimes sin, as you're going along, you're not paying attention. You, you didn't pray like you should. Uh, you didn't put all the armor on or whatever. We could go on and on. You became careless. And because of your carelessness, next thing you know, you've, done, you, you, you've committed a sin, right? But then we also go and we see there's the word Transgression. That word transgression, this is intentional. Transgression means you crossed over the line. You saw the line, but you did ignore, you ignored it intentionally. You walked over the line. But not only do we see the word transgression used, but also the word iniquity. The word iniquity here means, the actual meaning means lawlessness. This also is intentional. You know the law of God. You know God's Word. But yet you saw God's Word. You were taught God's Word. uh, You heard God's Word preached to you. uh, But you became lawless. You, without any regard to what the Word says, you went ahead and did what you wanted to do. And so all of these words are used for sin. Sin. But here, Jesus makes mention in Matthew uh, and also alludes to it in chapter 11 of Luke that we need to ask forgiveness for our debts. The word means you owe. If you have a debt, that means you owe somebody. Okay, got that? So when you got saved... The Lord Jesus came in, and because of what the Lord Jesus did for you, He's the one that paid the penalty that was deserved for you. He bought you with a price. Now, it's a master-slave relationship here or wording language here. See, you were enslaved to your sin, but the, the master, the Lord Jesus, went ahead and stepped in. He became your substitute. And the Bible says that not only did he come a part of your life, he became your life. In other words, we are now God's property. And because we are God's property, that means he owns us. That's the reason why we can't go around and saying things like we've seen with women who believe it's okay to kill babies, that it's my body, I'll do what I want to. Where if they're lost, they probably can. But if you're saved, your body is not yours, it belongs to Jesus. Your mind belongs to Jesus. And here's what happens with many is that we kind of have compartments of our life. We have our business life. We operate differently in our business life. We have our social life and our leisure life. We operate differently there. We have uh, our church life. And and so it's almost like we have a separation. Uh, But here what we have to understand is Jesus is not just a part of your life. He is your life because he owns you. How can he say he owns me? Because he bought you. Your salvation is free, but it cost him dearly. And so he owns us. And so when we sin against him, we owe him something. Jesus doesn't hold anything to us. We owe him everything. Because you were bound for hell and you were going to bust hell wide open, but the Lord Jesus stepped in. He paid your penalty. He paid the cost for your salvation and you became His property and He became your master and when you sin against Him, you owe Him something. That's the reason why we confess our sins. We also see it. There was a cry. Now, some people say, oh, that, you know, I've asked for forgiveness. That should have been good enough. And positionally speaking, we also see it in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 28. Talks about how we've been justified, how we've been became righteous. And we understand when we got saved, we got saved one time. Can't go around and say, well... This is the second time I've gotten saved. No, you can only get saved one time. And so you've been justified. You've been made righteous. Positionally speaking, when Jesus looks at you, he looks at you as holy, righteous. Why? Because he's looking through the blood. And if you're under the blood, that's exactly positionally speaking, that's how he sees you. But here we're asking forgiveness for our sins, not to get saved again, not because we've broke our relationship. See, John talks about it and we see it about talking about fellowship here. In John chapter 10, verse number 28, Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, if you've been placed in my hand, nothing, no one can pluck you out of that. That's security of the believer. And so your relation, when you sin as a believer, your sin does not sever your relationship ties, but it does sever your fellowship ties. See the difference? You can't lose your salvation. But you sure can lose your fellowship. And so he says here, we confess our sins. We confess our debts. But then we see in Psalms 32 and in Psalms 51, David David recognized the fact. In Psalms 32, David talks it like this. He says that uh, when I sinned, and he goes on and he says, when I kept silent. In other words, he hadn't confessed his sin. He says, I kept silent, and he said, it weighed heavily upon me. One of the indications that you are truly saved is, it's not if you're going to sin or you're, you're not going to sin. It's when you sin, it, you look at it far differently than you did before you got saved. When you sin now, it should burden you. It should put a heavy... The Bible says, David says, he put his heavy hand upon me. And he says, if I didn't confess my sin, he said it made me miserable. On any given Sunday, I'm fairly convinced there are safe folk here that have broken fellowship because they haven't come clean with their sin. I'm not talking about with their lips. I'm talking about with their heart. You can go ahead and talk it all day long, but eventually your actions will have to speak for what you're really in your heart. And so here's the reason why. And and then you have a lost person that has never confessed their sins and they're getting under conviction. So they're squirming around. They're getting a little nervous. They start looking at their clock. And then here you have a believer who's backslid a little bit, hasn't confessed their sin because they just didn't realize or didn't want to realize that they they were in denial. They didn't want to think that, hey, I've really messed up. And so there they are and God's heavy hand is upon them and it's making them miserable. And David says, until you confess it, you will never get peace in your life. Maybe somebody here tonight You've got an unconfessed sin. Nobody else knows about it. It hasn't been placed on Facebook. It hasn't been until, uh, broadcast all over. Not everybody knows about it. But the Lord knows. And you're uncomfortable. And you feel the heavy hand of God upon you. Why? Because you've broke fellowship with Him. God desires fellowship with His people. And so what He does when He puts that heavy hand, He puts that heavy hand to bring about correction in our life because He misses that fellowship that we had with Him. In Psalms 51, we understand David, and we all know about David's sin but also it came to realize David came to realize yes he did sin against someone else but ultimately he sinned against God and it broke his heart it should break your heart you have an unconfessed sin it should break your heart because you have severed that fellowship with him now but then we come to a condition What is the condition? Well, the condition is this. Notice the sequence in which he laid this prayer out. He says, Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive me. We're confessing our sins. And then we're crying out to him, Lord, I, I know I'm saved. And, and Lord, I, I, I know I'm saved. But Lord, I know I've broken fellowship with you. So there's a cry that should come out from us. And Lord, I want that fellowship back. But look at the last part of that prayer. And this is where we really have issues. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our Debtors. In Luke chapter eleven, it says, oh, "Forgive us, and help us to be able to forgive everyone who has sinned against us." That's where we have problem. But my dear friend, I'm telling you, we ought to be able to forgive. First and foremost, because we understand the forgiveness that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, that's pretty good. You know anybody? And nobody else can do that. And so we understand that we've been forgiven. Some of you, you have a a colorful past and you really had issues and maybe still some lingering issues that you had guilt and shame and you couldn't, it was just hard for you to wrap your brain and wrap your heart around the fact that you could be forgiven for some of the things that you've done. It, amazed, it just sets me back to think, God forgave me and then I can start naming those sins that I committed. Do you understand tonight that the Muslims who are hating us and and would want to kill us, do you understand that God would want to forgive them? And so here we see that we forgive us, but then when it comes to forgiving others, but we can forgive others first and foremost because we realize what forgiveness really is. Jesus showed us that. And second of all, because I can forgive because someone else has forgiven me. Some of you. You, and I don't know this, but I know of stories where they worked for someone and they stole money from them. I know people that said that they worked for someone and They didn't give them a full day's work and we can go on and on and on. Every one of us probably has a story of where we did somebody wrong. And when we went to them to make amends, you were nervous. You were thinking, oh man, they're they're, they're just going to go ahead. Maybe they didn't even know it. You got conviction. You thought, I got to go tell them. Probably gonna lose my job over this one, but I'm gonna go. And they forgave you. Listen, what? Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32. And be ye kind one to another. That's pretty good practice, right there, isn't it? Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. See, some of you, your heart's gotten callous. Somebody's done messed you over and that's this is the last time they're going to mess me over. Notice he says you've you, you got to be tender hearted. You've got to let the Lord start chipping that old stony heart that you've developed because somebody's done you wrong and you probably had just cause for it as well. But that's not the issue here, is it? The issue is, is that we're able to forgive others. How can we do that? Because he first forgave me. I spit in his face. I'm the one that rejected him. I'm the one that mocked him. I'm the one that says, I'll, I'll never go to someone like that. I don't even believe in him. And you went and we sinned and we sinned and we sinned and we shook our face and we rebelled against him. And then the convicting power of the Holy Spirit got us one day and we came to realize that we're in an evil Savior. We got down on our knees and we cried out to God in the back of our mind saying, I don't know if he's going to hear me. I don't think he has good crowns to forgive me. But I, this is the last I don't know what else to do. We cried out to God and God says, forgive you. Glory. That's right. And the Bible says this, he cast it as far as the east is from the west and will bring it to remembrance no more. My dear friend, you can forgive anybody. I don't care what they've done to you when you start to realize what Jesus Christ did for you and how he forgave you of your sins. Be kind one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Pretty good. You might be here tonight and you have some unforgiveness in your heart. I'm telling you, by the authority of the Word of God, you will never have the right fellowship with Him until you get that right. Well, what happens if I go and ask for, and I forgive them and they go ahead and do it to me again? You've done what you're supposed to. You've been delivered, you've been set free from that. It's on them now. It's on them now.